Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. And we are still knee-deep in tech. And today we are two fairly tired techies. To say the least. Yes, you should see Simon. He's pretty much um, undefined, I'd say. I got the offer to start off this podcast and introduce us. But to be honest, I'm I'm not focused enough to even do that. Do that. I don't think he even understood the question. So, well, you know, that's where we're, we're at. Yeah, so let's start off with something... New to me, at least. Uh, last week, I attended two, not one, Citrix show or workshop or whatever. Citrix as in the old classic Metaframe guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first, uh, Citrix Partner Accelerator in Stockholm, and then an internal event called Citrix Inner Circle. And the focus for me was basically to get to know Citrix a little bit better, uh, as well as our distributors. And lots and lots of time was plowed down into Citrix Senap and Send Desktop Essentials. And just to clarify, you've spent pretty much no time whatsoever with Citrix before this, right? I've built some group policies at one point. I've used Citrix quite a lot. Right. But I have never worked with it in any kind of way. All right, cool. Uh, oh, that's not true, actually. I've been doing some work with integrations between Configuration Manager and Citrix, actually. Okay. And Virtual Machine Manager and Citrix. Right. So some kind of, of exposure to Citrix, but yeah. not as an admin. Yeah, and with a sure. high Microsoft focus on how can we right. make Microsoft stuff run better and improve Citrix stuff. Right. Um, and SendUp and SendDesktop Essentials is basically the other way around. It's what remote app should have been. Azure uh, remote app. Yes. Um, they call it Aura as the parrot. Oh, Aura. Aura. And I don't know if how many of you that are listening to this that have actually tried Azure Remote App. To be honest, it, it has basically the same use case and user base as HP Workspace, which I reviewed on my blog a few weeks ago. Mm. It's very, very limited. It does what it's supposed to do, but nothing more than that. So, Senap and Send Desktop Essentials is basically Citrix running in Azure. And Microsoft had to sacrifice Azure Remote App to get that kind of technology. Right, that's that's what was announced at Ignite this year, right? Or yeah. actually last year, 2016. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I have to say it, it looks great. It's a lot more advanced than Aura could ever be mm -hmm. and the delivery is a lot better using the ICA protocol instead of RDP which is a big improvement. We talked about this at length uh, during a two-hour drive that we had Sunday and you were pretty amazed by the seamless way that this thing just works yeah could you elaborate on that basically you go into azure marketplace press i want citrix and everything just pops up 
you have the entire the console the delivery layer um, everything just works and you get the most basic controls as you hear it's essentials right so the scaling for example is not that advanced to say the least um, and that's something i see an issue with at least with larger environments right so so and i i got a demo on how easy it is to publish apps and, it, and it's it's like azure remote app or any kind of rds environment you just find it in the start menu press ok publish and off you go cool and, and it works very well and Something I, I really would like to evaluate more, and I'm, I have to say I can't share everything I got uh, right. at those events, but something I would like to evaluate even more is how you could leverage the, the, the things you know about Azure, the virtual machine part of Azure, mm-hmm. to improve the service of SANAP and some desktop essentials to evolve from essentials to something a little bit more advanced because most of the things you miss in essentials should be possible to implement using Azure Automation for example. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's that sounds really interesting. I've I've never spent any time with Citrix from an admin perspective either, but they do have a bit of a user base. Yeah. Everyone and their mother is using Citrix in, in some way, shape, or form. So I think, personally, it was a good thing to sacrifice remote app yeah. to get the, the possibility of, of this. Uh, yeah. And Microsoft is actually changing how they license Windows only for the purpose of this service. Because you will... You, today, you aren't allowed to run a Windows... 10 machine in right, Azure. Right, right, right. And you actually and we aren't allowed as a um, as a service delivery business that we are in part at least to give our customers access to a Windows machine that we host. Right. But that's changing on the 1st of April. So you will be and it's actually a very clear to be Microsoft that you are only allowed to run Windows 10 CBB on um, Citrix in Azure or on certified third-party solutions cool so it's 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 a big change I see a lot of customers that will look into this solution because it will really ease up their way of working quite a lot and it will be available to quite small organizations as well at a decent cost interesting very very interesting yeah speaking of cost and taking that slightly towards financials um we we had a discussion before we turn on the uh, the microphone about business intelligence and what kind of skill set you really need to be a good business intelligence person. And as you put it, the technical side is pretty easy. I can learn that in two days. Yeah, that's that 
was my quote at least. It was. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say that you're wrong per se. Of course, there's a lot of technical stuff to learn. Yeah, of course. But that's when you when you compare that to what's really important, it's pretty easy. Yeah. The technical side is pretty easy. The the deep understanding of the business processes yeah. and the ability to talk to business processes owners, to talk to talk to normal people that actually use this crap. <laughs> That's difficult. That's way more difficult to teach. That's way more difficult to learn. I don't think you can teach that, to be honest. I disagree. You can teach anything, in my opinion. It, but some people have an affinity for it. Some people don't. Some are better at it yeah. from the get-go, and, and some are not. You can, you, can, you can pretty much learn anything from to, to a degree. Yeah, yeah, to a degree, absolutely. But uh, yeah, I, I have to think about that because I don't... Uh, no, I, I, I disagree with you, but I have to think a bit more about it to kind of get my thoughts in line. Fair enough. But but that's that's something I see in on the client side as well. Right. This business model understanding, business understanding. And I, I think that's you need to have the interest. You you can't teach someone to develop a passion for something. Now there we agree yep. entirely. And there's also a um in my opinion, a misplaced fear of the business side. Yeah. Sure, it's it's easy to talk bits and bytes for us as we're techs, but think of it this way. Business is just another side of the same coin. Yeah. The language is different, but the net result and the net idea is the same. Yeah. So as long as you can talk to people, find common ground, hash out what do you mean when you say ordering? What yeah. What's what's going to happen on my side with, with the technical stuff? Then you have the basics to actually understand how to quantify and how to create a business intelligence support system. Here, here. Which is my point. Any and every business intelligence or database or whatever tech it may be, it's a support system. It is not there for the business itself. It's there to support the business. Yep. So the, the reason that this came up was we had a colleague who wants to get into business intelligence, which is great. And I'll see what I can do to support him in that. But he's coming at it from the wrong side. He's coming at it from a purely technical standpoint. Yep. And I don't think you can do that. No, not with business intelligence. I think you can do it with most other IT stuff. Unfortunately. Yes. Y you shouldn't, but you can. But if you go out to any IT department and tell them that I want all your data. They sure you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Don't let the door hit you on the way out. And the data is useless if you don't know what to do with it. You can... 
do any kind of technical stuff with it. I don't know what you, you DBAs do with data, rearrange it or oh, redecorate we, 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 it or whatever. We, we, don't, we don't talk about that. No. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's, it has no point if you come at it from a technical standpoint. Yeah. You need to know what to do with the data and you need to have the proper context. Yeah, and why? Exactly. Yeah. Why? Well, That's a very good question. And what's the goal? Cool. Speaking of data, you had something of um, Azure Data Lake. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Sure, hit me with your questions. What is Azure Data Lake? What is Azure Data Lake? I'm very happy you asked. <laughs> Azure Data Lake is, is basically a Hadoop file storage. It's designed to hold insane amounts of data. We're talking petabyte-sized files mm -hmm. and pretty much unlimited amounts of storage in a native format. That Can means help. that I don't need to convert it into anything. I just drop whatever I've got, push it in the lake. Hmm. Then you attach this lake to a Hadoop cluster and do big data magic on it. You pretty much dredge the lake for whatever you want to find. Hmm. So, I don't see anyone putting a petabyte of data from their data center into Azure Data Lake. It, it's, the data has to be born in the cloud, right? Or is someone actually putting a petabyte, uploading a petabyte of data to Azure? Actually, you might. And there, there's, a, there's a good reason for that. Since, yes, you may put in a, a petabyte of data. But what if you run this and then put in another petabyte of data from another source and store it in the data lake? Yeah. So your data that you had on-prem might just be one small piece of the puzzle. Yes, it's a huge bloody piece <laughs> since it's a petabyte, but in the end it might just be a small part of the piece. Part of the piece. Yeah. There we go. Part of the piece. That's going to be the name for this one. <laughs> Part of the piece. Part of the piece. The green piece or another piece? What piece? We will never have peace. Peaceless. Part of the piece. Go on. Part of the... <laughs> yeah, uh, because the, I, I see so much news on Azure Data Lake. Yeah. And I don't, I, I can't for my life understand the use of it until now. And it's still, it, it's, for me, it's a bit like thinking about how big the universe is. Big. Big. And I can't get my head around it because I, I believe you visualize data in a profoundly different way than I do. I think you actually can see the data. And that, and, that's uh, an interesting point since coming from a um, structured data perspective, mm -hmm. such as a, a DBA, you wouldn't believe the speed that I hit a brick wall when I come into big data. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much, they take your opinions and your ideas and say, yeah, screw you, we're doing it this way. Yeah. And anything you just learn, it doesn't matter. Hmm. You, you can't scale to big data. There's a reason it's called big data yeah. because it's, it's a shitload of data. I think we need a big data special. But that's only because I want the Hadoop elephant as the icon on the blog post afterwards. Of course you do. You have a. It's cute. Yeah. 
Can we move on from the database? I love all kinds of animals when it comes to IT. I know. The Linux penguin, the docker whale, the Hadoop elephant. This is the guy that had, um, uh, he, he did a talk on penguins at a course we had a couple of days ago. It was a good talk though. It was? It was. Moving on. It's, it's almost Christmas time. Is it now? Yeah. If you are a Microsoft guy, you have Christmas two times or three times a year now. Oh, you're talking about Windows 10, right? Yeah. Ah. So it's almost time for a creator's update. You mm. actually get a bit of a teaser in your update settings app now. It's almost here. You oh, so that's faster. why my update doesn't work. Shh. Okay. It's almost here. I. It, it, it will be great. Okay. There are many improvements, and and that's the that's the downside of being in the fostering because I only hit all bad all the things that are broken in each ring. Mm-hmm. So the, the last one, I can't use Windows Hello on my Surface now. It actually killed my keyboard at one point. Oh dear. Uh, which being so close to the release is. <laughs> quite odd but anyways so in in a way i never get the feeling of getting something new and working as most normal windows users will when they get the creators update Mm -hmm. and i think it will be great i don't think we realize how much awesome stuff that's in it like with mixed reality and stuff because that's and that's i've said it before this is part of something bigger it's part of a humongous plan that someone at microsoft is writing at the moment so i'm i i want to see the release i don't know when i have heard someone say like april this is Beginning. the creator's update. The right? creator's update, yes. And, of course, we can't stay on that. And I saw a blog post about rumors of Redstone 3, which is the next update, which will be released sometime in like October, I guess. And apparently the name of that one should be Mobility Update. Okay. So to you, that says... They say that Windows Phone is dead. You haven't seen the last of it yet. Windows Phone, the Windows op- the the phone operating system that just won't stay dead. Kind of. Sure, but as it, I told you in, in the car yesterday, just fix the damn application, uh, the, the the app issue. Yeah, and it's going to blow everything out of the water. I want to do a spoiler alert for you that haven't seen the last series of Game of Thrones. So if you haven't seen that, just bring the podcast forward like 30 seconds. This is going to be good. Windows Phone is like Jon Snow. Oh dear. You, you just used... Oh man. You, we use so many bad kinds of magic to keep it alive. Yes, 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 you do. Can we, can we agree on that we're going to need a better... Uh, uh, script before we do these episodes <laughs> again in the future. 
Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, on whatever. that bombshell. D- dig, dig yourself out of this hole. <laughs> I, Can I, I say something? Yes, say something. Okay. I, I'll try to stop laughing. Speaking of things that should have been killed long ago, there is a Power BI gateway. There's a new version of the Power BI gateway out in the March update, which is wonderful. It's got a GUI, which not necessarily is a good thing, but in this case, it is a very good thing. It simplifies a lot of stuff. Just um, you can restart the service. You can change the service account. You can get better diagnostics and, and stuff like that. Also, a better network connectivity check. And what is profound is that you're actually going to have a useful error message. Most people have seen the gateway can't access anything outside the network. Oh, thank you very much. That was very useful. Now you're going to see something like gateway can't access the Azure service bus endpoint or something like that. So it's way easier to troubleshoot, more consistent, and it works better. I, I encourage each and every one of you to go download it and install it. But isn't a GUI a step in the wrong direction? Shouldn't all this, I bet, everything in the GUI is available in PowerShell or whatever? No, that's the, that's the funny thing. This is not exposed by PowerShell at all. Hmm. Why? You're asking the wrong guy. Okay. I have no idea. Um, I'd love for it to be exposed, but I don't think it is. Is it? Is it? Now you have to explain this to me. Is could it be that you set up one gateway and that's basically everything you do? You haven't the need to automate that kind of stuff, so that's why you get a GUI. You put up one gateway for each data source each that data source. you're gonna have a, mm-hmm. a connection to Power BI. And that's not very many, no. to be honest. You usually don't need very many uh, gateways. Having said that, I see no reason whatsoever not to enable me to yep. use PowerShell. Yep. And I mean, it's not that hard. It's there. Yeah, it's, it, it it's has already to be. In the, yeah, it, exactly. It's already in there. So it's it's a good release. Uh, I'd love for the um, the PowerShell thing to be in there, but it's not. Yep. And um, I'll I'll keep going. Yeah, go on. I just realized that I'm I'm uh, I have a bit of steam here. Yeah, go on, steam away. I'm steaming away. <laughs> oh dear. Eric Darling of Brent Ozar fame wrote a blog post the other day that said that the number five is still a bad idea. And this references max degrees of parallelism in SQL Server, which incidentally turns 20 years old since this was introduced in SQL Server 7. And that's the weird thing. I agree completely in everything Eric writes. Five is an old and obsolete number that should never be a default setting. Incidentally, it is the default setting. Never ever leave it at five. Period. Full stop. Why don't Microsoft change stuff like that? That's a very good question. Do you have any other questions? I'll shut up for a few more minutes. Oh, that's a first. Now, I've, I've asked this question many, many times, and the answers that I've received are along the line that we don't want to break anything uh, by changing the default. 
sure, it's a, it's a good philosophy, but in this case, you're going to break way more by leaving it at the default five. Since back in the day, five meant that if the query was expected to take more than five seconds, it would start looking at parallelism. Today, the five has nothing to do with the amount of seconds. It is the relative cost of the query. And why, while you need to keep track of the number, five per se doesn't matter. So the, um, the way I do it, and many people with me, is set it at 50. 50 is a good starting number, but be prepared to check it out from time to time. See if you need to tweak it upwards or downwards, but don't ever leave it at five, please. Good. Was uh, that uh, obvious enough? I think so. Okay. And you can, of course, read more on this on your blog or Eric Darling's blog. You can. Uh, Eric has a good um, run-through of the uh, the whole issue at uh, brandozar.com. And I've written a couple of blog posts regarding how to properly set up your, your um, uh, SQL Server. I'm going to update it any day now for SQL Server 2016. Right. As there are a few uh, things that I recommend you change, but other part from apart from that, it's just that. So check out our different blogs. Good. I have two things left. Mm -hmm. First of all, global availability of Microsoft Teams. Teams. Have you used Teams? Yes, I have. What do you think about Teams? Teams, I like. Yes. What I don't like is that I have Teams, I have Yammer, I have this, I have that. Decide on a platform, please. Yeah. And I hope it is going to be Teams. Yeah, I believe so as well. It, it, it's still not done. It's of quite obvious. It you have it. And, and I think you it, at some point need to limit what Teams are as well, because I agree with you. you. We can't have Jammer, Groups, Teams, SharePoint, whatever. But in the same, at the same time, I don't see that Teams will replace all of them. No. Because that, that would be, that would just be hard to manage and hard for, an, for a user to understand. Yep. And the funny thing is that if, if you start to get feature creep for Teams, yeah. you're going to end up with a new Jammer. Yeah, kind of. Uh, and if you haven't checked out Teams, do so. It should be available in all paid Office 365 tenants. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at least um, not the personal consumer ones. Really? No, I don't think so. It's an enterprise feature. Though. It's an enterprise feature. So, but, but it should be in like business, business premium and okay. the lower end business plans as well. Right. And... and Teams is something that many, many organizations have been looking for a while. And some will, of course, stay on Slack, for example, or Cisco Spark or whatever. Yep. But for many of you out there, Teams will be the way to go. Yeah, I, I enjoy Teams. It's It suits me fine. Yeah. And I want to sum this up with one very important announcement. Windows Vista end of support 
April 11th. So Windows Vista end of support April 11th. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> yes. Can we finally put that piece of to bed? No. I, Vista is a bit like Windows 8. It was just way ahead of its own time. Oh, yeah. Are you going to try to, to sell me on the fact that it was misunderstood? Yes, it was. We have so many features from Vista in every single Windows OS afterwards. Yep. And like the user account control, it's basically the one of the most important features ever introduced into Windows. Sure, we have a lot of interesting issues. Uh, I was about to say issues. <laughs> uh, a lot of interesting features. Yeah. One of the features that was not available in Vista was the fact that it actually works. <laughs> yeah, and um, as you know, I'm almost too young to have been working with Vista in that kind of... Uh, in any an enterprise environment. You should have seen Windows 95, 98, and, or Windows ME. Then we can talk about a weird... You, you know that I, my first computer had Windows ME, and I loved it. But again, I only used it for Diablo, basically. Which is a very good use of a crappy operating system. <laughs> okay. Can't agree more. Can't agree more. Well, we're coming up on 30 minutes. Yep. Um, well... Until next time. Bye. Have a good one.